Well, tonight we're in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. And we ended last week with that last part of the verse, that simple phrase that says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Notice it doesn't say pray, but it says continuing steadfastly in prayer. It could also be translated in instant in prayer, or it could also be translated continuing unwaveringly or devotedly or strong towards, continuing strong towards prayer. All of those translations are accurate. But what is the attitude that Paul is giving us here? He's given us the very key in the understanding of prayer. Prayer is not a simple task of simply just talking to God and that's all there is to it. There's the heart of a believer, a mature believer, who knows and understands the very nature of prayer, indeed is persistence in prayer, that devotedness, that strong towardsness, that unwavering attitude towards prayer. Now, it shouldn't be a shock to us. Because Jesus, when he taught his own apostles, he taught them very clearly this principle. Now somewhere down the line, we started teaching or thinking something other, and then people started getting bummed out and upset because they're saying, you know, prayer doesn't really work. I tried to pray and it didn't happen. Or they get disappointed in prayer because they're saying what uh, their, their expectations weren't met uh, in the time period they prayed, or what they prayed and what actually happened. But again, Jesus teaches us the very principles of prayer, so it does work. It does work. It works the way God designed it to work. You expect, if you go put your key into the ignition of your car, that your car would start. You're not bummed out, because it worked. That's what you expected, that's what it did. You expect, when you put your car into drive, that it will start going down the road. You're not bummed. You're not in any way shocked because that's what you expected it to do. But now if you had in your mind that your car could four-wheel drive when it's just a bug, and here you now try to start climbing up the side of a mountain and you're trying to go over this small pine tree and all of a sudden your car sputters out, gets stuck on the side of the mountain, and you say, man, I'm disappointed. I'm totally bummed out about this car. No, the car performed to exactly what it was made for, the way it was designed. You had a different design, you had a different expectation, and it didn't work. It wasn't that the car didn't work and perform the way it was supposed to, it's that you had a different mentality, you had a different understanding, and that's the problem. And Jesus knows this, and he understood this, and this is why he told that parable in Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. So God's intention for us as believers is that we would always be in prayer and we wouldn't lose heart, but you've got to understand. How is that going to happen? By understanding the mindset of what prayer is and what prayer isn't. And he says a parable here. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, 
hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus clearly teaches here that this woman... She understood as she went to the judge that it wouldn't be a simple, hey, give me what I want. Thank you very much. Uh, you're a good judge. See you later. She understood up front that there was going to be a time period that would elapse, that would take diligence, discipline, perseverance on her part. And she did it. And Jesus says, now, is the last generation, us today, are we going to get it? She understood it. She got it. In the human realm, she understood it. Do we understand it today? That's the question. Or, when the Lord comes, which is very soon, is he going to find faith on the earth? How do you know? Very simple. Faith equals believers persisting in prayer. You have faithful people persisting in prayer, then the Lord's definition is he finds faith. If he doesn't find people diligent in prayer, he doesn't find faith. And so she understood it. Now how about examples of this? Absolutely, in Jesus' life, he points them out. He helps them to see the attitude that he's going to have, and we're going to understand this concept. For example, over in Matthew chapter 15. Interesting, it's a Gentile, and we are Gentiles. And she's talking to Jesus, and that's who we are talking to. So we actually get to see behind the scenes what is really going on in the mind of God. Now, I don't think this is exactly what's going on uh, in his mind, but it, it, the examples we have are earthly. So the exact heavenly realm of what's going on, we don't know, but it takes persistence for prayers to be answered. And we see this here. In verse 21, Matthew 15, verse 21 then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, True, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, this woman, in going there, knew she was going to have opposition, just like the woman in Luke 18. She knew the red carpet wasn't going to be rolled out for her. The Jews felt they had a Jewish religion for Jews. She was a Gentile. Uh, the average Jew wouldn't say, oh yeah, no problem, doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. Quite the opposite. They'd say, there's no way God's going to hear you. And so she understood there was a cultural, customary difference that would indeed hit turbulence along the way. It didn't matter to her. She goes to the Lord. And when he tells her what she thought she would hear and did hear, basically, hey, I'm sent to Jews, not to Gentiles, she didn't care. Because faith doesn't care what they see. Faith believes that God is. 
And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so she presses on. And Jesus, again, gives her another obstacle and says, Hey, um, I'm sorry, but uh, it's not right to give the kids bread to, to dogs. And she says, I'm not asking for bread. I'm just asking for crumbs. A simple handout here. And finally, she presses the Lord. And he rejoices. And he says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Precious, dear lady. That's the same word he called his mother Mary. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. She understood persistence. And she got the very thing she desired. When we pray according to God's will, he hears us. And we have the very thing we ask of him. But that doesn't mean immediately after we ask him. It means in his timing, in his way. Why does he do this? He's drawing us out. He wants to see our faith on the earth. He knows our heart. He can see whether we have faith in our heart or not. But it rejoices him just like it rejoices God to see a flower come out of the earth. And he sees it. He experiences it. He sees our faith coming out of our mouth, coming when we're on our knees, coming even though discouragement is sent our way, sometimes even by God, to draw out our faith. And we don't care what we see. We don't care the feeling of, man, you know, I don't think God's even hearing me. I don't think God even wants to answer my prayer. Even though those feelings may come, we don't care because faith grabs on, holds on to, and believes that God is, and he is going to reward those who diligently seek him. And that's exactly what we see in the heart of this woman, what God wants to see. Oh, great is the faith of every single one of us. We see that with Abraham when he went up to offer up Isaac. He said, now I know that you truly believe in me. Now you truly trust. Abraham in his heart was saying, we find in, in Hebrews 11, in his heart he was saying, God already said, through Isaac your seed shall be. So he, he knew that Isaac had to live because Isaac was not yet married. Isaac had not yet had kids. He knew in his heart that Isaac would have to produce offspring in which he had not yet done. So even if he died, he would raise from the dead. He had that resurrection faith. This widow here, she knows something about the heart of man in which we are created in the image of God. So the same characteristic that's in man is the same characteristic that's in God. And that is there's something to be said about perseverance, persistence. You know, actually, it's a godly character. Persistence is a character that God puts in us because it says in James, it says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Any amount of perseverance, the devil loses because he does not have that characteristic of perseverance within him. And so here we see that she continues on with this man who diametrically is opposed to helping people like her. He didn't fear God. He didn't respect man. He had no concern whatsoever to help her. But yet, she knew that she will get what she wants if she keeps annoying him. And sure enough, he finally just said, you're a gnat that I want to go away. I'll give you what you want so you'll go away. Now, God, you see, it's not that he wants us to go away. God wants to draw us out. God's greatest joy is fellowshipping with you. 
Just like a parent's joy is being with his kids. I have not gone down and watched a Little League game just to go watch a Little League game. But if uh, my kids are playing down there, oh, I just love the Little League game. Even though nobody hits it. And the only people that get a hit are those who get hit by the ball. <laughs> and everybody's dropping them. And I, but hey, I'm there and I love it and I'm videotaping it and taking pictures of it and shouting. I'm into it. Why? Because they're my kids, you see. God loves you. He loves, Proverbs says, He loves the prayers of the righteous. He wants to draw you out. He wants faith to be demonstrated. He won't settle for anything less. And so, if you don't understand this, you see, as Jesus says, you'll lose heart in prayer. When the Son of Man returns, will He really find faith on the earth? Very simple. Persistent believers in prayer equals faith on the earth. Christians aren't praying. Then there's not faith on the earth. Interesting, if you look at church history, the number one lowest attended service is the prayer service. You have a concert, hundreds of people. You have a potluck, thousands of people. <laughs> you have somebody intellectually stimulating, pack the house. But say we're going to devote an hour to prayer. You're lucky if you get a handful of people. Why? Faith. You don't need faith to hear a concert. You don't need faith to hear an intellect. You don't need faith to eat at a potluck. But it takes faith, you see. Now, if we could really see into the spiritual realm, if we could go now and open those heavenly books, and we could see the 45 minutes waxing my car and detailing it out, earthly reward, zero. Remodeling your house, playing baseball, watching TV, eating dinner, what it accomplished? Zero. And then you go into the spiritual things, reading your Bible, going to church, witnessing. You'll see a number by that, whatever that is, what it gained. But then you go to prayer and the afterburners are kicked in. How much is accomplished in prayer? And yet we won't know until that day. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. If we could understand all that we're accomplishing by prayer, we would pray so much more. How many doors have opened up? And we go, man, got lucky. How many doors have shut? How many times we've been protected? How many times we've been blessed? How many times things have been accomplished and we only from the earthly perspective say, hmm, well, stroke of luck. It worked out. Somebody happened to know somebody who happened to say something. Not understanding, not really knowing that God was answering prayer. And so... First of all, we need to understand 
that persistence is within the definition of prayer. If you don't understand that when you start praying, it may take a while. It may take a long time. And that is God's plan. God is stirring your heart up now to answer the prayer three years from now. God is stirring up your heart now to answer that prayer eight months from now. We see Moses as he goes down there to Egypt. And God says, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But you know what? He's not going to let him go. But go tell him anyway. And he says, go, Pharaoh, let my people go. And his heart is hardened. God said ahead of time, Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. And indeed he did. Now, Moses was told by God in advance, it's going to be a process. It's going to be persistence. It's not going to happen immediately. It's okay though. Why? God said, in your persistence, in your waiting, in that time drawn out, what's going to happen? Number one, my power is going to be proclaimed to the Egyptians. If you read in the text again in Exodus, you'll find that many believing Egyptians left with the Hebrews. They became believers in that six-month, eight-month, ten-month period of time, whatever it was. They became believers. Secondly, we see how little faith the children of Israel had. By their praying, by their seeking, by their persistence, by them crying out to God, Deliver us, Lord. Faith was instilled in their heart to a more degree than they had beginning. It says in Jude 20, it says, Praying in the Holy Spirit, building up your most holy faith. And so by me praying, by me persisting, I am changing. My faith is growing. And the non-believers, by my life of prayer, seeing it, is going to change them. Give me an example. Daniel. God was elevating Daniel. Daniel prayed three times a day. It says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Three times a day, he would open up the windows and he would pray towards Jerusalem. And these satraps said, we've got to get that guy, Daniel, because there's 120 of us at the same level, but Daniel's being elevated. And I heard Darius talking about raising up maybe three guys, Daniel being one of them, and let's get him. They could find nothing on Daniel except one thing. He prayed to a foreign god. Well, foreign to those in Babylon anyway. We can get him on this religious thing. We can show that he's not religiously, politically correct. And so they did it. They worked it out. Nobody could pray to anybody but Darius for 30 days. That's all, 30 days. Now, a lot of us would have no problem. 30 days, no problem. 30 days not praying. I did that last month. But with Daniel, he had a life of prayer. Every day, three times a day, he prayed. And so, sure enough, he read the decree. He knew it meant being thrown into the lion's den. He immediately went back and he prayed. 
What happened? Because he prayed, and no doubt he was praying for the salvation of Darius, praying for the salvation of others. What ended up happening is, you remember, he went into the lion's den. The lion's mouths were shut by angels. And then Darius, he came running out to the den the next morning. He said, Daniel, Daniel, what faith he had. Matter of fact, he had more faith than the apostles running to the tomb of Jesus. He comes running out, calling his name. That must have looked insane to those who didn't have faith. But Darius had faith, and he said, I knew your God would deliver you. He brought him out of the pit. He became a believer. I believe we'll see Darius in heaven. I believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Two of the, well, the Babylonian ruler and the Medo-Persian ruler. I believe we're going to see in heaven. Why? Two world empires. Four world empires have ever existed on the earth. Babylon, the Medo-Persian, the Greek, and the Roman. Two of those emperors came to Christ, who ruled the world, came to Christ because of men who prayed. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down, they prayed. When they came in and they said, nobody can interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel said, give us some time. And they went to prayer, him and his buddies. And God gave him not only an interpretation, but what it was he dreamed. It was prayer that changed two world empires. Man, it must have been tens of thousands of people getting together in concerts. No. It was one man, Daniel, who said no. Three of his buddies were ashamed not to agree with him. He pulled them in and they became great men because Daniel was a great man. Daniel prayed. Take note, when you're reading the book of Daniel, rarely do they call him Belteshazzar, which was his Babylonian name. They call him Daniel. But yet his buddies, we don't even remember their Hebrew names, we only remember them by their Babylonian names. Daniel was a consecrated man. And nothing would change Daniel. Life, death, nothing was going to change his heart of consecration to God. Where? Prayer. He wouldn't bend in prayer. Daniel, in chapter 10, he was reading in the book of Jeremiah, and it said 70 years they would be out of the promised land. Daniel is a young teenage boy, 16, 17, was brought to Babylon. He's now up in his 80s, 90s, and he realized 70 years has gone by. He takes the scripture and he begins praying the scripture. And he did not eat for 21 days. He continued to pray. Finally, Gabriel showed up and said, 21 days ago, your prayer was answered on that first day. But the princes of Persia were fighting in the spiritual realm, and they were fighting me, and I had your message in hand. I, I couldn't get to it. Satan fighting against the heavenly postal service. And finally, he said, Michael came down and got postal on him and freed me up. And, uh, and so I was able to escape. i got to go back and help him. But here's the answer to your prayer. I'll tell you, Daniel would not have stopped if it was 22 days. 
23 days, 30 days. Daniel wasn't going to stop. God knew it. And he finally said, go ahead, Michael, go down and, and let Gabriel go free. It's been 21 days and I know Daniel, he's not going to stop. You've got to get him his answer before that old man starves himself to death. Go on down. Heaven was moved by God. Angels were unleashed by God. Why? Because a man believed that God was and a rewarder of those who diligently sought him. David in Psalms 119, verse 164, says, Seven times a day I meet with you. David met with the Lord seven different times a day. We need to understand that God has His timetable and I guarantee you any significant prayer you're going to pray will not be answered immediately. On occasion the Lord does it. God has His timing. But most prayers are prayers of persistence. We also see there in Luke chapter 11 if you'd turn there to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. It says there in verse 5, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, saying, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, I want to make a note. What is the filling of the Phoenician woman, the Canaanite woman? What is the filling of the woman who comes to the unjust judge? What is the filling of the guy who's asking his friend at midnight, waking him up at midnight for some bread, it's, the sense is negative in each of those. No way, go away, leave me alone, not proper, not supposed to happen, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. But you see, faith, it just transcends all of that. It doesn't matter. It just knows God, and it knows that God's going to do it. And it doesn't matter how they feel. What's it say in Romans chapter 8? We don't pray as we ought to pray. But the Holy Spirit helps us with those intercessions. You see, God's Holy Spirit is prompting you to not give up, that we wouldn't lose heart, that when Jesus comes to earth, we will be persistent in prayer. But see, faith, faith hangs on. Faith, faith creates. The woman, all these people were touching Jesus, but that woman with the hemorrhage, she fought through the massive crowd. And she, faith, thought this thing up. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Her faith was unleashed as she fought through the crowd. The multitudes of people were outside that little house that Jesus had a handful of people he was teaching. Far more outside than inside. But there were these four guys and they started roof jumping. 
until they came right over the top of Jesus. Where do you think he's in the house? A little bit farther back, you know? Right above his head. They don't care that dust and debris is falling as they're ripping up the roof. They get a rope. Just start, you know, in the middle of Jesus' Bible study. They don't care that he's interrupting Jesus. They don't care. It doesn't ma- nothing matters to them. They're going to get to God. They're going to get to Jesus. They're going to have their friend touched. That heart of faith rips open roofs. It fights through crowds. It doesn't matter the difficulty. It doesn't matter that there's a mob of people. It doesn't matter that he's inside. It doesn't matter that he's saying, you're a Gentile and I'm a Jew and I can't do this. It doesn't matter. He says, it's midnight. Go away. Nothing. Faith. You see, it's devoted. It grabs a hold. That heart of prayer. I believe you are. I believe you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Now, Jesus says, what's going to happen to that guy who persists? He's basically going to say, it's 12.15, it's 12.20, it's 12.30. If I'm going to get some sleep, I'm going to have to get up, climb over the kids, climb over all the animals, get over to the cupboard, and get the bread for the guy. And he's saying... Folks, in a different way,
I can't explain. Jesus doesn't try to explain it to us in the heavenly realm. He just says, here's physical analogies. Here's a Gentile woman praying to Jesus. This is Jesus' attitude. Sort of discouraging her. Why is he discouraging her? He wants to see your faith. Her faith was increased, and it also increased the faith of others. Each and every time you'll see it. It blesses the person, and it blesses others. And then God has His perfect timing. We see David as his heart cries out. Let's, oh, say, say there in Luke, verse 9. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and it will, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Now, in the Greek, it reads, ask and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. For sometimes people who ask receive. Verse 10. Is that what your Bible says? No, you won't find a Bible that says that. It says everyone who asks receives. Does that sound like 100% to you guys? <laughs> he who seeks finds. He who knocks, it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? In Matthew, the same, another time Jesus preached on this, it said, how much more will your Father give good things to those who ask of Him? Number one. Number one point you need to know about prayer is what? Persistence. Before you even start, realize God is going to draw out your faith. God is more interesting in using the vehicle of faith to change you, to grow you. But the heart of faith can't stop seeking the Lord. Look at David's heart. Here's a man who truly has faith. Psalms 42. And then we'll look at Psalm 63. Psalms 42. Notice David here as he's crying out. He says in verse 1, As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So he's saying, man, I'm like a deer who's on the run and I, there's no water and I'm just running towards the water as fast as I can. My soul is longing. My soul is thirsting. I can't wait to be in the presence of God face to face. And then in Psalm 63, turn there if you would, Psalm 63. He says there in verse 1, O oh God, You are my God, early will I seek You. My soul thirsts for You, my flesh longs for You in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. There's a longing. The heart that is spiritual is longing. Now, folks, in our generation, you've got to understand we are unique. The generations before us depending on how old you are. Not too much in front of us. Didn't watch TV for hours on end. Didn't watch movies galore. 
didn't have 13 million magazines to preoccupy them. Life did stop. Life did stand still. Heart attacks were less. People went crazy less. Anxiety less. But in our day and age, our children are disciplined to set through a two-hour movie in a theater. But there's not the discipline for an hour church service. We, you see, can be disciplined for the wrong things. And we need to discipline ourselves unto godliness. We need to exercise ourselves unto godliness. And prayer is a necessity. And so to pray an hour, to pray two hours a day, to pray three or four hours a day, really, folks, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. But you can't watch six hours of TV and then expect to have spiritual desires. It's not going to happen. You fed the flesh, you're going to have more fleshly desires. You can't expect to go watch a movie and then to say, oh man, I just my soul is panning to go home and read the Bible. It's, it's not going to happen, folks. And so fire begets fire. If you're fired up, to entertain yourself, then you'll be fired up to entertain yourself more. You go watch a movie, you watch out going, you walk out of the movie theater going what? What's the next movie? What's on next? What's another movie I can go to? What's another theater I can sneak into maybe? Watch the last bit or whatever. You, you're thinking about more movies. You play basketball, you're thinking about the next time you'll play basketball. You finish watching a football game, you want to know when the next football game's on. You see, when you begin a life of prayer and then it ends, you want to know when it is. You can have that time alone with the Lord again. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Jesus plainly said, unless you lose your life in this world, you will not gain it in the life to come. Many will come in that day saying, Lord, Lord. Be gone, you doers of iniquity, those who lived after their own lustful desires. I never knew you. Secondly, in prayer, it is okay, it's okay for God to say no. The Bible says those who wait on the Lord will never be put to shame. The Bible also says those who wait upon the Lord will rejoice. The Bible also says that God isn't saying no to what you're asking unless He has a plan for something better. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 said, Lord, take this messenger of Satan away from me, this thorn in the flesh. Now if anybody came up to me and said, man, I'm really being oppressed by the devil. It feels like a thorn in my flesh. Would you pray for me that the devil would be bound and, and leave me alone? And I would pray. There'd be no doubt in my mind I wouldn't have thought that this wouldn't have been God's will. But it is sometimes God's will for demons to have the upper hand, for the thorn in your flesh to be there, till Paul said, I am weak, I can't preach. I am weak, I can't go witness. I'm weak, I can't do the work of an apostle. And 
their God after three times. Paul was persistent, you see. He didn't stop praying until he got an answer. And he finally got an answer, no. Why? I've got a better plan. What's the better plan? The better plan is that this situation is weakening you, which is causing you to rely upon me more, so in your weakness, my strength is perfected. Peter said, Lord, no way you're going to go to the cross. Get behind me, Satan, you see. It's okay. Let the devil beat me at the cross. He's not going to win at the resurrection. And so again, and from our earthly perspective, we are like Peter going, not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. This isn't right. I don't understand. No. We see there, Hezekiah was dying of an illness, and Isaiah comes and says, all right, get your house in order. It's taking you home. This, this illness is going to kill you. And he says, no way. And there he has in his mind to live another 15 years. God gave him his will, so we would all see we don't want our will. God's alternative was better. And I guarantee you, 15 years later, when Hezekiah was in heaven, he was kicking himself going, why did I stay on earth for another 15 years? There we also see Elisha dying of an illness. And he dies of that illness. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. But he died. Now, the health and wealth gospel teachers say, well, he lost out on faith. He started living carnally probably and, and, and started losing faith towards the end of his life. And, but that's not true. Because after he died and his body decomposed, some foreigners were going by fleeing. And as they were running away from this other army, their friend who was wounded died and they didn't have time to bury him, so they threw him in the, the tomb of Elisha. And when he hit the bones of Elisha, he was raised from the dead. There was power in them bones. But you've got you to gotta say, if there is enough power in the bones to raise this pagan from the dead, surely there's enough power in those bones to have healed Elijah from his sickness or to truly have raised himself from the dead. He died of an illness because God had a better answer to his prayer. God, heal this sick person. Okay, I'll let him die and take him home. That's the best healing, you see. That's a permanent healing. All the other healings are temporary. Everybody that got raised from the dead, they died again. Everybody that got healed from their sickness eventually ended back up on the bed of sickness, unto death. And so God can answer the prayer in a way that we can see or he'll answer the prayer that's a permanent. But it's not him not answering the prayer. David was praying as his baby was dying and he was fasting and he was prostrate and and his servant said, man, he's going to do himself harm. That's how intense he was praying. And then the child died. And, and he saw him talking amongst himself. Saying, oh, they were afraid to tell him, afraid to do more harm. And he got up and washed himself, said, I'm hungry, let's eat. And they didn't understand why. It was okay for God to say no. And David said, hey, the child's not going to come to me, but I'll be going to him. I, it's not a matter of some negative, horrible thing, God saying no. Well, I didn't get to spend a few years here on earth. David was 50 years old at the time. So he died at 70. So I missed out on 20 years on earth with him. Oh, well, God will make it up with all of eternity. Not all of David's kids made it to heaven. But I'm sure this one did. 
He was quite certain. He will not come to me, but I will go to him. So if God's plan is just to take this little one right on to heaven, sure, take it to heaven. That's God's plan. That's fine, you see. It's okay for God to say no. He has a better plan. Does that mean you don't can persist in prayer? No. The persistence in prayer is changing you and changing others. Thirdly, prayer is work. If we only pray when we feel like it, we won't pray as we ought to pray. We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned earlier, we've got to exercise ourselves to godliness. Here's the four things in exercising. One, you have to have a goal. Two, you have to have a plan to reach that goal. And how does that spell out? A time and a place. You say, well, I'm, I'm a more free spirit than that. Well, you've got to understand, we are in the flesh. And because we're in the flesh, you, what you call free spirit is laziness. What you call free spirit is fleshliness. I want to be free in the spirit, but Jesus had a definite goal. Jesus had a definite plan. Jesus had a definite time and place when he prayed. We see it throughout the Gospels. We see after the Passover, he got up and he went. He had a goal. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6, 26, 4, his goal was to pray for one hour. That was his goal. He was going to pray. That was the plan. He was going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. The time was at night. It was for one hour. And he knew the place. He knew exactly what he was going. And before he started praying, he told the guys, guys, stay awake. You all need to pray that you also may not come into temptation. So he's saying here, this time of prayer is for your strengthening and for you to be able to overcome Satan. A definite goal, definite plan, a definite time, a definite place. We see in Isaiah, it says, He awakened me morning by morning. He quickened my ear to hear. Every single morning, first thing, Jesus' plan was to pray, was to seek the Father. Much more I can say about that. Don't have time. Uh, Cornelius, I might mention, prayed in Acts chapter 10. And it says, in heaven, there's a memorial to his many prayers and his much giving. He disciplined himself. He exercised himself in much praying. And he was a non-believer at that time. Four, and final, prayer is spiritual. You see, God is spirit. And we can commune with God spirit to spirit as well as Him commune with us spirit to spirit. Passing the mind. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Those things that are mature, Go right from God's Spirit to your spirit. But it can also work the other way. Right from our spirit to God's Spirit. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, I pray with my mind and I also pray with my spirit. I pray with my spirit. My mind is not being used. It's unfruitful. But it's my spirit that is praying and then he goes on to say, I am glad that I pray in tongues more than you all. A church that was known for speaking in tongues. That was their claim to fame. We are in the flow of the supernatural. We are totally into tongues. And Paul, without being there, said, 
When it comes to speaking in tongues, I guarantee it, you eat my dust. I guarantee I pray in tongues more than all of you guys. This is why Paul can say, pray without ceasing. Because it's that constant heart of communion, of crying out to God. Remember Hannah? She went into the temple and she just sort of groaned. Her lips were moving, but no utterance was made. Eli said, oh, I've seen this before. This is a drunk person. That's what it looked like. Distortion, intensity, bending over, stupor position, holding on, just groaning. Didn't know what to pray for anymore. Just sort of her spirit crying out to God's spirit. And the Lord heard her. We have to understand that prayer, more than anything, destroys Satan's realm. When you start praying in his spiritual fortress, over South Bay is this spiritual castle, in my thinking. I, this heavenly host, you see, this spiritual dimension. And he has demons here that have been here for probably before America started. And these demons have a game plan and they know every one of you, I guarantee it. If you came to church here tonight, you're a target. But we, as we are throwing these spiritual cannonballs as we pray, when we're out witnessing, yes, we affect that kingdom. When we're preaching, we affect that kingdom, some. But when we pray, you see, we are now entering into that spiritual realm. We are now fighting spirit to spirit against the devil. We are pulling down those strongholds of the devil, not with earthly means, but with spiritual means. Our weapons are not earthly. They are spiritual and pulling down those strongholds. And so the spiritual mind realized, above all else, I must pray. Everything that I am must be much praying. Boy, I, I wish we could get that vision. We would see it, the power of prayer. We would see a complete different change if God's people would get together and pray. But we think wrong. Our generation thinks wrong. We say, well, I'll go to church Sunday night, but the service is already two hours from six to eight. Man, if I get there at 5.30, oh, two and a half hours, man, too much. But when we hear that there's a movie three and a half hours, oh, man, we're excited. This, this is great, you know. It'll be an epic. But Sunday night's not going to be an epic. It's going to be something we endure. See, it, it's, it's our mindset. It's just a change of mind. It's all how you look at it. If you say, man, reading a book is hard. Well, reading a book is hard. But if you sit down and you read a book and you read another book and you read another book and, and for a year you've read books and maybe you've read two or three books a month and somebody now hands you a book of 50 pages, you're looking at this going, man, this is, this is a piece of cake. It's just all how you look at it. And the spiritual man looks at prayer as important, as powerful, as life-changing. His life as well as the life of others. 
God has to instill it. It is spiritual. Prayer is spiritual. I cannot humanly convince you to do that which has got to come from the heart. You, I could motivate you, but it would last for a few days. It's got to be something truly that you mature in the Lord. But I'm telling you, in your pilgrimage as a Christian, this is where God is directing you into a deeper prayer life. Until you come to the place where you don't think it anything to have prayed two, three, four, five, six hours a day. It's nothing to you. You're not going, whoa! You mean you actually got up and prayed an hour and a half before you went to work? You're telling me that you actually, when you got home from, from work or from school, you went in and shut the door and prayed for an hour before death. You're telling me that you actually stayed up from 9 o'clock to midnight and prayed and just sought the face of God and His Word and worshipped Him? I, you see, after a while, it's sort of like status quo. It's sort of like, that's the way it is. If you look in church history... Prayer is something that's always put on the back burner until revival comes. And then it is the most attended meeting. People pack out by the hundreds and the thousands to pray for hours. People get together and pray all night. We see it in the book of Acts, chapter 12. People get together and seek the Lord hour after hour after hour. Many, as you read the revivals, they would go to pray at five in the evening. And it seemed to them like five minutes later, and it was eight o'clock the next morning. And this would happen night after night after night after night after night. They would go on an hour, two hours, three hours sleep, and they had strength. And they had those seasons for months. And and again, I don't know what God's going to do. God doesn't have to repeat himself. He's infinite. But I'm saying, if there's anything, if I can crash this mentality of these little token prayers before the mill or this little two-minute prayer before you jump in bed or this little five-minute prayer when you get up in the morning, not that you have to put the clock on, but Jesus did. Can you not pray an hour with me? I had a goal for an hour. Can't you hang in there an hour? And Jesus thought, that was nothing. Like, come on, guys. We've done more than this a lot of times. This is just an hour. This is nothing. This is like... After you've read 10, 500-page books, I'm handing you a book of 50 pages. So that was a real minimal amount in Jesus' mind for that evening. Their evening time of prayer was an hour. and That was no big deal. After they ate dinner, after they worshipped a while, to go out into the garden and pray for an hour. This is not much. But I'm tired. You don't understand. Jesus rebuked them. My goodness. You would have thought the Lord would have said, Guys, I know you're tired. You know, I'm a God of grace, grace and love and kindness and, and, and my presence is, is rest for your souls. Sleep, beloved. I'll bless you in your sleep, you know. I would have thought Jesus would have said that. Had he thought, said that, I would have said that's consistent with the scriptures. Not when it comes to prayer. Prayer is in a whole nother category. The Bible says the servant of the Lord's not to strive. But then Paul, the same author, also says, strive together with me in prayer. Prayer is of a completely different nature. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And God, we know that 
Your word is clear. That you're looking for people who are walking by faith. Calling upon you. Persisting. Knocking and keep on knocking. Asking and keep on asking. Seeking and keep on seeking. And we thank you that the promise is already given in advance. In advance. That those who seek you will get that answer to prayer. Even if it's no. That's okay because it's a better plan yet. But we thank you for that Lord. And Lord, we just take that encouragement also out of Colossians 4.2 tonight that says, continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us. Lord, help us to be earnest, vigilant, and in our meantime, praying some more for those in leadership. Lord, help us. Lord, we're fleshly. We're not going to get away from that. But Lord, we can be more spiritual than we are. So we ask, Lord, that you'd help us. We believe, but help our unbelief too. And we lay all at your feet tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.